journalist, not a terrorist. I know what's right. The First Amendment tight. With the Lafayette Square, cause Trump don't care. Kids out of the cages and increase our wages. Welcome to Nehera in America. This is a special day today. We have a special guest, especially during these times. He's a stand-up comic that has worked for many years on projects with Donald Trump, as well as traveled the world with rock bands such as the Rolling Stones. Wow, a man with quite a resume, Noel Kessler. So yeah, I, hey, Rick. I called you Noel because my mom's name's Noel, and uh, I see. Hey, it's a beautiful name, but I come from a poor family. We couldn't afford the umlauts. Ah, uh, yeah. Well, I, my first, my family first came to the country. We had that little accent mark, and they didn't have a typewriter for that, so we went up without an accent. So it really helped us that's out. Funny. Too. No, that's what I mean. Those two little dots are called umlauts. Oh yeah, so yeah. I was like, we we weren't fancy enough, you know. No, I know what an umlaut is. That's not one of the Willy Wonka little people. It's uh, uh, a thing that. <laughs> got to have there. Yeah, so... You know why I say that? Because whenever I do a stand-up show, they always get my name wrong, and they say, Noel, but it's a gift, because I have that joke yeah. locked and loaded, and everybody thinks I just made it up, you See, know? Yeah, that's the perfect thing. Like, my name was like a Spanish lesson every time they brought me to the stage. It was like, Rick Najera, and it was like, no, no, it's Najera, it's J, I would be Japanese, that's not right, and <laughs> just go on forever. It was, it was hell exactly. during casting because I'd walk into the casting directors and they'd do that little, I really want to say your name correctly. So let's just work on it. Well, how do you say it? And I'd be like, it's Nahara or Nahira or no, no, I want to get it correct. And after a while, they'd be like, screw it. Just do your audition. And of course, that That's didn't ever turn out well. But yeah. So but you are blowing up all over the place um, with with your stand up and also your your experiences. I mean, you actually worked for the Trump family. uh Celebrity Apprentice, and also the, t- the his teen pageants, um, and so you you were you were backstage with this whole thing, weren't you? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and that's what I did for twenty five years. So I worked on any live television show from the Grammys to the you know the the VMAs, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, um, the Super Bowl halftime show. I mm-hmm. did for almost fifteen years. Um, anything you see live with a bunch of talent on it, you know, there's a lot of moving parts. So that's how I came to work on Celebrity Apprentice. We did the finales. I did six seasons of the finale. So the last, you know, that big last show, where he says, you're fired or whatever. That's when I came in. And the first three years I handled the celebrity talent. And the last three years I handled Ivanka Trump personally. And that's where I started to really see the crazy stuff. Though it was crazy the whole time. And he was crazy in the nineties when I worked on the beauty pageants too. He's crazy now. Like he, he is who he's always been. That's why when he got elected, I started speaking out more and in my standup because I was like, you guys don't understand. Like, mm-hmm. you don't really get how insane this guy is. Trust me, this is, isn't a, a surprise to me. I mean, I'm Mexican, so Mexican-American, so I've, I've seen my my racist world. And it's racism is an interesting thing in America because sometimes there's overt racism and there's a subtle racism. I sometimes like the more overt racism. I like to know who it's someone's feeling against me than other than the, the other right. racism, which is hidden. His hasn't been. I mean, hasn't been at all. And that's yet all the, his handlers and the GOP and everyone around him is 
keeps trying to put it to say, oh, he's, he's joking. He's kidding. Oh, you know, he's just, he talks his mind. He doesn't mean it. You know, all that sort of thing. And it's like, no, I, he means it. And you know he means it. So why don't you both be truthful and say he's a racist? That's what he's, he is by all classic definitions. And and it's unfortunate because I think now what's happening is is we have such a changeover in the government because call me strange, but I do believe Biden won. I do believe he won. Um, <laughs> I think like, you're right. Yeah, yeah I, I believe it. Me and 70 other million people believe it. But it's odd that the same people that don't believe that the South lost, the Confederates lost or Germany lost or, you know, are still uh, don't believe that COVID's real. You know, it's it's the right. I mean, who throws super spreader events at the White House? I just can't understand exactly. it. And then they had one of his people literally surf by uh, people surfing over a, a crowd of Trumpers. And I'm just, you know, I'm, I'm going that takes a lot of bravery. That's that's, uh, you know, a. Uh, a thrill seeker, you know, what are you going to do? You're going to jump off a building? No, no, I'm going to body surf over a crowd right. of Trumpers with their masks off. Yeah, that's going to go well. Exactly. So now as your stand-up started growing, you know, what got you to being, I mean, going from casting and, and handling talent, stuff like that to stand-up is kind of a, 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 a jump when you say. Right. So what it is, I had, I went to 25 years ago, I went to the American Academy of Dramatic Arts in New York. So oh. I have a background in the mm -hmm. theater and I did a lot of comedic acting. I sort of excelled in like the comedic plays and stuff. You know, I have a pretty good sense of timing and things mm -hmm. like that. And then I did a bunch of improv with Upright Citizens Brigade yes. in New York. So I sort of had gotten sidetracked into a backstage career that ended up being a decent career. And you know how competitive is it, it is at acting and stuff. You know, yeah. I got out of drama school in, in 1996 and, you know, was, was going to auditions and trying to, you know, get in showcases and stuff as an actor. But then my career kind of took off behind the scenes, and I also ended up road managing rock and roll bands. So I toured the world with Crosby, Stills, and Nash, and you know, I worked with the Rolling Stones, Bruce Springsteen, Jackson Brown, all these guys. So I was kind of like living the life anyway. Yeah. You know what I mean? I was meeting my heroes. I was at the Grammys. You know, it was a fun, exciting life. You know, mm -hmm. I wasn't the guy on stage, but you know, I was part of the business of show business. Cause yeah. as you know, it's a business, you know, and if, if you're lucky enough to make a living at something you love, you stay. What happened was, you know, I did it for 25 years. So, mm -hmm. you know, I started to get in my mid forties and I was like, Hey, it's time to do me now. You yeah. know, I've been in service of other people's talents because that's what you do as, as a talent coordinator and yeah. a road manager, you're helping someone else excel. You know, your whole job is trying to make things smooth behind the scenes so the moment they hit the stage, they're completely in the moment and they have everything they, they need to, to give an excellent performance. So it coincided with wanting to do my own artistic thing, you know, just mm -hmm. feeling that buzz again, like you're not going to live forever. You yeah. know, it's time to do you. And also what I'd witnessed on The Apprentice, I tried to get all my colleagues to speak out and, you know, they wouldn't, you know, it was like Mark Burnett was going to blacklist anybody who spoke out. You know, he said that as much. So mm -hmm. within the live TV industry, it's a very small insular world. Very. And even if you're justified in speaking out, you're still basically a troublemaker. And I understand why my colleagues who have mortgages and kids in college and stuff weren't really ready to give up their careers in 2016. Also, nobody thought he'd win. 
So they're like, no, he's not going to win anyway. <laughs> you know, yeah. if I if I go on the record and talk about that time he used the N word or that time he walked into the truck and said, get a close up on her tits. And, mm-hmm. you know, all the thousands, the snorting Adderall, which we all saw, he'd crush up his Adderall and snort it. So they were like, I don't want to lose my career. My thought was, look, there's nothing on the other side of this anyway, because this guy gets elected. He's going to ruin this country and you're yeah. not going to be working anyway. And sadly, I was right. You know, yeah, the I entertainment mean, business has been shut down for a year. Broadway's probably shut down for another year. So mm-hmm. sadly, my premonition that he would be such a disaster, we wouldn't even have an industry came true. But so I was like, I need to speak out. I'd spoken out to the press and I told Hillary's campaign what I knew. But it sort of all kind of just went by the wayside. Then he won. And I said, what's the most effective way to speak out? And I was doing a show for HBO in my role as a talent guy called The Night of Too Many Stars. It's a wonderful show, an autism benefit. Yeah. And it was in sort of October of 17, and they weren't really, the comedians weren't really going after Trump. You know, yeah. they were sort of playing it safe. My friend Kathy Griffin had done that photograph, and she paid a horrible price, and like all her bookings dried up, and yeah. I think that scared a lot of people. And they were kind of going easy on Trump on this particular show. Yeah, it's kind of, it's you know, kind of and the, I saw the writers' era. rooms and the yeah. and I was like, forget this. I'm going to go into it and I'm going to like make it funny, but I'm going to tell the truth about this guy. So that's a long answer, but that's what got me, you know, to want to do it. It was like I wanted to process these horrible things I knew about this man in a creative way that would also help me deal with the anger and you know disbelief and horror I was feeling over having this guy as president. You're listening to the Nahara in America podcast, the podcast that isn't afraid to tell it like it is to people who aren't afraid to hear like it is. You can listen to us on Revolver Podcasts or wherever you find your finer podcasts. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. You know, they have the old saying, never meet your heroes or, or people you admire. Yeah. And, I'm, and I've been in the business a long time. There's some wonderful people I've met. And there's also every once in a while that really horrible person that you go, how does that person exist? But they do. They really do. It's yeah. it's There seems to be almost a really bad person and really good people. There's not a lot of middle, I find. I mean, it's strange. And they, they do say, don't, don't, don't meet your heroes. And I've met a lot of the heroes. Um, I, I saw Trump pretty much from day one. I just, I've been around those guys and I, I know how they think and how they act. And he got in this almost, you know, when people said he's going to pivot. Remember that? He's going to pivot. Yeah. And I, I love that one. Oh, he's, just wait. He's going to pivot. And he's going to, he's going to be like a presidential. And it's like, no, he's over 70. They, people tend not to pivot over 70. You know, uh, if, if your grandfather's got a Confederate flag in the background, and drinking a beer and looking at Obama with hate in his eyes, he's not going to pivot a year later and be seeing Kumbaya. It's just not going to happen. Exactly. Now, when are you writing a book? I'm working on one now, and it's not so much a tell-all. It's, you know, about Trump, because I didn't want to cash in. That was the other thing. A lot of guys were writing books about it, and I'm like, I'm giving away what I know. You know, this isn't about me having a come to Jesus moment, you know, for lack of a better term, like Michael Cohen or all these other people, and Mm -hmm. cashing in. Yeah, no, I'm not doing that. So I'm not writing a cheesy tell-all, and I've had those offers that I turned down. I am writing sort of a memoir about my life, because I grew up, you know, single mom, had me at 19 years old. Mm-hmm. I was fortunate 
to grow up in what they would say is the wrong side of the tracks. You know, I grew up outside of Washington, D.C. in the 70s, you know, in a neighborhood that was 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 black and, and it was uh, Palestinian, you know, and it was Latin American. You know, so my best friends were named Abella, you know, and Cedric, you know, and, and, and like Carlos, you know. Yeah. And, and I grew up in a, in a multicultural world and it was the best thing that ever happened to me. You know, and but I saw Reagan come in and I saw the school lunch program because I was poor. You know, we would yeah. eat lunch in school and breakfast. I saw him cut in and come in and cut that and say ketchup is a vegetable. You know, so I saw my friends go hungry. Mm -hmm. I saw myself go hungry. And then I saw then I was sort of I, was, I had to, my mom's circumstances got worse. She had, you know, alcohol issues and stuff. So she was no longer able to take care of me. So in my teens, I moved to Westchester County, New York, which is like a, an affluent kind of middle class, upper middle class white area. Mm -hmm. So I went from like a multicultural D.C. area to like these white kids in the suburbs, the same people that voted for Trump. You know, I know people that voted for him. Most sure. of my high school voted for him. So I saw the privileged resentment of, of the suburbs. And, and that's how Trumpism came about, you know. The, the, kid, the people that sort of fled the cities in the 60s and 70s, they fled the cities with a lot of racial animosity, you yeah. know, because, the, the, you know, the, the, the cities kind of burned and bad shit happened because of systemic racism. And then a bunch of white people went to the suburbs, bought a bunch of guns and started fearing the other, you know, and they started saying things about the other around their kitchen tables. Much like the Mexican stuff that Trump ran on, you know, they're yeah. coming to take your jobs, this and that. So that became a generational thing. Oh, yeah. And no. I saw the paradox in it. You know, I saw how like sort of lazy and ineffectual a lot of these white kids were in the suburbs. It's like you don't have to work hard. You got left behind, you know, because they also got left behind. That's the other thing. They got confused when Obama came to office, yeah. you know, and, and technology and all these other things like I can't just go work at a factory and buy two cars and put a kid through college anymore. You know, that that happened. And 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 a lot of people didn't adjust. And instead of being honest with those people as a political party and saying, we need to retrain you, you yeah. know, you're not just going to be a welder anymore in a factory for forty dollars an hour or whatever. Like you're going to have to get some other skills instead of actually addressing that. It was easier as a party to be like the other guys, your problem. You yeah, know, well, because what the Republican yeah. Party is really trying to do is remain powerful for just a few people to take all the money and continue to con the working man, but to do it with this racism. Oh, well, so my book will be about that, maybe. <laughs> I'm going to try to keep speaking out sort of how I am on Twitter. I, I want to branch out. You know, I, I've worked with a lot of other people, too. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I worked with some great musicians and I saw some really cool things. Um, in my time in television. So I'd like to do some kind of show where I start talking about that stuff or maybe uh, do something where I bring in some of the progressive musicians that have had an influence on me. You know, guys like Graham Nash, Jackson Brown, you know, I oh, yeah. Michael Jackson, he's not around anymore. You know, Aretha yeah. Franklin, like I, I have great stories, you know, of a generation of artists that sort of either already left us, you know, or is going to yeah. be leaving us soon. But I'll keep trying to entertain people and, and, and you know, speak my truth and I'll keep writing, you know. Now, here's a question I always ask. How do you think we can get our, ourselves back together as a country? That's the, that's the question of our age. Really and is. I don't know the answer to that, but that's, that's, that's what I'm going to apply my life and my talents to is somehow figuring that out. And it's going to take all of us, you know, because yeah. and I'll make this final point, you know. 
this stuff started with the Koch brothers and, you know, like you, you so eloquently said, you know, they dismantled education. They yeah. dismantled the humanities. You know, the humanities, arts education are important. It teaches us who we are. You know, yeah. Barack Obama, President Obama came out with his list of books today. That entire time that guy was president, he would read novels at night. He would read literature at night because that te- that expands your world. Yeah. And you learn of another person's experience. Yeah. And then you learn we're all in this together. What's happened now is we're fractured. Trump was able to turn it into two teams. You know, you're the toxic masculinity flag wave and MAGA types. And, and you hate the socialist libtards or whatever you call well, them. Liber- libertards. You know? And it's like – Two, it's two hands on the same body fighting each other, and people don't realize that. Whether you whether you know it or not, you're always beating yourself. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like we're all we're, if if you got eyes and you're breathing, we're all of the same thing. Ultimately, you know, in a spiritual sense, it's called in Lakesh. The Mayans believe that you. It's called in Lakesh. It means you are my other self. So right, you, exactly, and and I think that's that's something that I'm I'm starting to do in my own life, and I, I hope this is what we can do, is start to say we instead of me, a little bit more, right? Because that's really the you know you have this this idea that you know I'm pulled up by my bootstraps, I'm going to make it, I'm got my 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 rifle, and I'm going to go out and get my forty acres, and I don't need the government, just stay away from me. And it's like, no, everyone from day one has needed someone. In fact. I bring the story up. They, they, it was an archaeologist would ask, when do you think the beginning of civilization was? And I'll leave with this story. She said, I got a femur bone that I found that had fractured of someone who had died, you know, thousands and thousands of years ago, you know, millennials ago. And that bone had been fractured, but it healed. So it said that someone had to go down, get water from the stream, bring it back up bring food to that person, bring water, care for that person as if it was their own self. And that was the beginning of civilization, compassion. And and I, and I think this is what we're talking about, both me and you, is that have a little bit more we in your life, care a little bit more about other people, say in Lakesh, you know, you are my other self. That's the world I want to live in. And, and I hope that we are, have learned from this experience to live a little bit more for others. And uh, that's my hope. And I got to tell you, I think you should go into politics. That's just my own um, off-the-cuff kind of thought because uh, I'm sure we need, more, we need more progressives like you and more people because how did they turn a word like progressive into something bad? <laughs> you know, it's know. like, know. you know, how do, how do you turn a word into liberal into something bad? You know, progressive, liberal, things that people are asking for. You know, at one point, FDR was a progressive liberal that wanted Social Security. Oh, my God. And wanted children not to be in factories. This is the, the march of, of mankind, of us going to a better place, moving out and trying to make a better world for the people that we love. And that's the country I hope we can live in. And I hope that uh, my, my sound engineer could put some, some American music underneath that, kind of a God bless America sound thing. Thanks, Bo. That'd be great. And uh, no, I, I got to have you back on the show. I think the world of you. I'm going to keep, I see great things in your future. Um, or, or a from a Trumper. I'm not sure which one. But. Well, thank you, sir. I, I'm hoping for the good future. That's what I'm Thank you. Me too, brother. All right, brother. Well, listen, thanks for coming on the show. Thanks for coming on to Heron America. Noel Kessler.
Yes, sir. And I'd love to come back anytime. I look forward to speaking with you again. Anytime, brother. Anytime. Really good talking to you. Thank you so much. Thanks, Rick. Have a good holiday, brother. You too, brother. You're listening to the Nahara in America podcast. The podcast that isn't afraid to tell it like it is to people who aren't afraid to hear like it is. You can listen to us on Revolver Podcasts or wherever you find your finer podcasts. Join us next week for more on Nahara in America.